When Caitlin and I were dating, I lived in a small one-bedroom apartment. The bedroom was in the back and the front room was a living space with a kitchenette in the corner. Uh, and now the apartment was plenty comfortable for me, but it wasn't all that big. So anytime that I cooked something, the whole front area would smell like whatever meal I had just made. Uh, and it would do this even after I'd finished cleaning up and eating and everything, you know, it was just the smell permeated. Well, one evening, Caitlin dropped by for a visit after work to hang out for a little while. And I had already had dinner and stuff and she had grabbed a sandwich or something on the way over. And when she knocked on my door, I opened it up and greeted her. But she was also greeted by sort of the cloud of, of the smell of my dinner that I had made earlier. And I, I don't remember what it was, probably spaghetti or tacos or something, but that doesn't matter. All that matters is that I had smelled it as I cooked it and, and ate it, and, and I didn't even notice it anymore. But she was completely caught off guard by the, the wave of scent that she was greeted with. And so she did come inside, but she immediately proceeded to open up my windows, turn on a fan, and the air cleared out, and we spent time together before she headed out later to her home. But sometime after that, I discovered a little note that she had left me. Uh, it said something very simple, but very significant. It read, the key to my heart is proper ventilation. <laughs> The key to my heart is proper ventilation. All right, so I took that to heart and I learned to make use of windows and fans and so on and so forth, right? But even with proper ventilation, right, all of our homes have a, a unique smell to them, right? I mean, it, it is a special potpourri, a sort of aroma soup determined by the meals that you cook, the things that you have, the materials your house is made of determined um, by the cleaning products that you use, and most of all, determined by the people who live there, right? Because not only do our homes have smells, uh, people have smells as well. Uh, some of you know Jimmy and Desiree have a vegan diet, and Jimmy once told this story that when traveling abroad, he was told that he did not smell like an American. And after figuring out what exactly they meant by that, he learned that apparently most Americans smell like sour milk because of all the dairy that's in most of our diet. Um, but even beyond households and cultures, right? Even individuals have our own sense, right? Just like unique fingerprints, individuals have unique scent prints as well. This is how police dogs are able to assist in tracking a suspect or how search and rescue dogs can help find a lost person, right? They can identify the unique scent of that person that they are looking for and they can follow it. You know, animals have profound scent capabilities. Here in the Pacific Northwest, there are places where we can see the annual salmon migration. Right? I don't know if you've had a chance to witness that. Every year, salmon swim hundreds of miles to return to their birthplace. And scientists have discovered that they primarily navigate all of those miles by scent. Right? From birth, they memorized the scent of their spawning grounds. And every year, they follow that scent upstream to return 
for a new generation. Now, we may not track smells like dogs or navigate by scent the way that salmon do, but smell absolutely has the power to transport us. More than any of our five senses, smell has the power to trigger our memories. The smell of a freshly mowed grass immediately transports me to summertime and particularly memories of listening to music while mowing the lawn back in high school. Or the smell of pumpkin spice, right? That, that brings us immediately to the fall and, and the holiday season when pumpkin pies are accompanied with Thanksgiving and Christmas celebrations. And of course, you know, we're currently surrounded by the smell of springtime blossoms. So there's this whole calendar of scent that we live in. Uh, but, but beyond the calendar, right, scent can also remind us of specific people and places. The smell of coconut often reminds me of my grandpa because I remember he used to have this coconut shampoo. Or there's this particular kind of mint that reminds me of my grandmother's chewing gum that we used to have during church when I was a kid. And, and that is the whole plot of the 90s cartoon, Anastasia, about the long lost Romanoff who'd forgotten her identity, right? The whole movie turns on the moment when the scent of peppermint reminds her of her grandmother and opens up her whole world of long forgotten memories. And so what is it for you? Right? Is there a particular scent that transports you to some special memory, some special place or person in your life? You know, in, in addition to triggering memories and, and strong nostalgic emotional responses, scents are also really difficult to explain with our words. You know, for sight, we have words like light and dark and the whole rainbow of colors. For sound, we have words like loud and soft, high and low, and a whole system of music theory, right? For touch, we have words like hard and soft, or rough and smooth, hot and cold. For taste, we have words like sweet, savory, sour, bitter. But for scent, our vocabulary runs incredibly short. I mean, let's try it out. How would you describe the smell of flowers that are blooming right now? You might say, well, they smell sweet. Well, but again, but that's, that's borrowing from a flavor word to try to describe scent. Or, or maybe you would say, well, they're floral, but, but that's redundant, right? They're flowers. That's the point. This is hard, right? It's hard to describe what we're smelling. Uh, or, or here, let's try another one. How would you describe the smell of a new book, right? That, that smell when you walk into a Barnes and Noble or something like that. And, and I'm sure, I know some of you guys are, are book lovers. You've, you've all grabbed a new book and given it a good, nice smell, right? You know, how would you describe that scent? Paper? Again, that's, that's redundant. You know, there's, there's no real way to describe it. But you all know what I'm talking about. You know that scent. We can't really describe it. We just know. You know the smell I'm talking about, but you can't describe it. And in this way, I, I think that scent, more than any other sense, points to the mystery of the divine. 
You see, we can know God in the depths of our being, but no matter how much we try to describe, our words will fall short. And so, so scent, as, as we've been thinking about this, is closely connected to identity, right? The smell of a particular person or place. But it's also connected to experience, as it triggers memories, evokes emotions, and, and transcends language. And we see these themes pop up throughout the biblical story. So these are the things that I want to explore together today as we continue this series on senses and spirituality, all right? Now, our main text is going to be in Mark chapter 14, but I'm not going to get there for a little bit. I want to look at a few other things before we read that. So I'm just going to go ahead and pray for us, and we will dig right in, okay? So pray with me. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the gift of scent, this sense of smell. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture today, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we've talked about the way that scent activates memories and emotions and surpasses the capabilities of our vocabulary, right? Now, there is a biblical category for all of this, right? There is a biblical category for remembering and feeling and, and, and the transcendence of language. It's called worship, right? Worship is this place where we remember the Lord, where we rejoice in him, where we so often come right up to the edge of what our words can possibly do justice to, right? Worship is the place where we experience and, and the way that we respond to the mystery of God. And throughout scripture, scent is deeply involved in worship. In the early chapters of Genesis, before the priestly sacrificial system had been set up, even before God had called Abraham to become a great nation, we see people burning sacrifices and offerings to God and the smoke rising up. You see, this was the conflict that arose between Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. And then a few chapters later in Genesis 8, after Noah gets off the ark, unprompted by God, he builds an altar and offers burnt offerings as worship to God. And in Genesis 8, Chapter 21, it says that the Lord smelled the pleasing odor of the sacrifice. And we see this continue throughout scripture. Worship is connected to the sense of smell, right? Later in Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will offer similar sacrifices. And in Exodus and Leviticus, we see this whole system that's put into place for the nation of Israel with instructions for making burnt offerings of bulls, goats, grains, and oils, right? And in every case, it says that a pleasing aroma went up to the Lord, you know? And we also see instructions for various kinds of incense that would be used in the tabernacle and in the temple. 
You see, in in the Old Testament, worship is kind of like our experience of going out to a fancy dinner. You know, we get dressed up, we put on our best cologne or perfume, and then we head out to a nice steakhouse or something. For them, they went to the temple and they encountered the smell of, of grilled meats, right? The scent of fresh baked bread and the grain offerings and even the perfume of incense, right? This is the smell of worship throughout so much of scripture. And then later on, the psalmist reflects on this experience of worship. And in Psalm 141, verse 2, he writes, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting of my hands as an evening sacrifice. Right? So from burnt offerings to incense to lifted hands and prayer, worship deeply involves the sense of scent, right? But there's this other theme that we've already talked about that emerges in scripture as well. Just like the unique smell of our homes and ourselves, scent is also connected to identity, right? Think of the story in Genesis 27 of Isaac blessing his son. Do you remember this? You've got Esau, a big and hairy outdoorsman who is the firstborn who should get the blessing. But his brother Jacob, a, a homebody with smooth skin, who's also a trickster, finds a way to steal it from him. And so he dresses up in his brother's clothes. He puts sheepskin on his arms to make him nice and hairy. And he heads in to ask his father for the blessing. Now Isaac has lost his sight in his old age. So appearance is not an issue at this point. But when he hears Jacob's voice, he is puzzled. And he asks him to come closer. And he reaches out and he feels his son's arms. And the hairy sheepskin that Jacob is wearing does its job. But Isaac is still not quite convinced. So he asks his son to come even closer and kiss him. And in Genesis 27, verse 27, it says that Jacob came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments. And so he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. You see, Isaac was not convinced of his son's identity by sight, sound, or touch. But when he smelled him, he was convinced. Today, you know, you need someone's bank info to steal their identity. Back then, all you needed was their smell, apparently. So scent is connected to identity. We also see this in the poetic language of Song of Solomon. Chapter 1, verse 3, when the woman says to her lover, Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is perfume poured out. Therefore, maidens love you. You see, she doesn't only say, you smell good. She says, your name smells good, right? His goodness is not just his cologne. It is his very being. That's why people love him. And this is the very same language that's used of God. In Malachi chapter 1, verse 11, where the prophet declares, from the rising of the sun 
to the setting, to its setting. My name is great among the nations. And in every place, incense is offered to my name and a pure offering for my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Right? So, so in this prophetic passage, God's name is associated with the incense that is offered in every place. And this is a way of saying about God, the very same thing that the woman had said about her lover. You know, not only does the incense smell good, God's name smells good. Therefore, all people should love him, right? So, so as we consider this sense of scent in scripture, we see that it's connected to worship and to identity, and it, and it helps us to stay rooted in our own memories as they emerge, right? Well, all of these themes come together in our main passage for today. So go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 14. If you have not already, all right, Mark chapter 14. Here we see a scene of worship, identity, and memory all come together in this crucial moment of Jesus' life. All right, so Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 3. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard, and she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, why was the ointment wasted in this way? For the ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, here we have this incredible story of worship, identity, and memory, right? And this story is important. It's told in Matthew, Mark, and John, right? And in all three, it occurs just before Jesus goes to the cross. Now, we read Mark's version of the story, but John fills in some more details. So I want to share some of those, right? Mark simply calls her a woman, but John identifies her as Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Mark says that she broke open the jar, right? But, but John says that the fragrance filled the whole room. Mark says that she anointed Jesus' head, but John says that she also got down to anoint his feet and wipe them with her hair. Mark says that there were some who were there who objected to this act, but John identifies Judas as chief among the objectors. 
So there, there are these different details there, but in both of, of these accounts, the point is clear. This is a story of worship, identity, and memory. And the scent of oil permeates, right? So let's see what this story shows us about each of these themes. First, worship. All right, what does the story show us about worship? Well, first, it shows that worship is to be whole, all right? When it says that Mary broke open the jar, it's another way of saying that she used the whole thing, right? She didn't pour out just a little drop and save some for later. She smashed the jar and poured it all out for Jesus. John says that the fragrance filled the whole room. Another way of showing us that worship is whole is that between Mark and John, we see her anoint Jesus' head as well as his feet, right? And this means that we not only worship Jesus on our knees in specific prayer and worship and devotional practices, but also that we worship Jesus as we stand and go about our daily lives. You see, our worship is to be whole, we worship with everything that we have and in everything that we do. When we open our eyes in the morning, may we say, dear God. And then as we close them in the evening, may we say, amen. And let everything in between be a life of prayer and worship. But even that, even that is not enough because even our sleep is worship to God as we stop to rest we acknowledge that God is the one who keeps the world spinning and not us. So our worship is wholehearted, holistic, and lived with our whole lives. But we also see something else about worship here. Right? We see that as our worship becomes more whole for God, it also becomes more hated by others. All right, Jesus looks to Mary and says, she has done a good thing. Some translations say she has done a beautiful thing for me. But what do the others say? Right, in verse 4, they ask, why was the ointment, the ointment wasted in this way? You see, I, I got to be real honest. We live in a world that thinks it can get by without God. Our cultural narrative may emphasize mental health and physical health. Maybe it emphasizes friends and family, but it is strangely quiet about God. And as long as that's the popular story that we're living in the midst of, living our lives for God is going to be seen as a waste. But in order for our worship to be whole, we need to tap in to the reality that we need God. Right? God is not just a nice personal add-on for some psycho-spiritual stimulation. Church is not a hobby for social interaction. We desperately need God. And we desperately need one another as well. But even in the church, right, even in the church, we can start to give in to that cultural narrative. And when we do, 
we become kind of like the objectors in our passage, kind of like Judas. We start measuring ourselves not by our devotion to God, but by how many people we've helped. Now, don't get me wrong. God does call us to help people. The poor are always with us, and we should show kindness to them. It's what Jesus says here. But that is not the measure of who we are. If it is, then the church is really no different than a boys and girls club or the neighborhood food bank. But we are different, all right? We are different. The church must not only be known for its service to others, but also for its worship to God. This is the place where our service to others flows out from. This is what we must be rooted in. Whole lives of worship for God. So this story of scent is about worship, but it is also about that other theme. It's also about identity. All right. In verse 8, Jesus says, She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. She worships him by declaring his identity. You see, Jesus is the Christ, which literally means the anointed one. That's what the word Christos means. And Jesus has said multiple times, that the Christ, the anointed one, must suffer and be killed before he rises again. Now, when he told this to Peter, if you guys remember, Peter rebuked Jesus. He said, no way I'll ever let that happen to you. And Jesus responded, get behind me, Satan. But here, Mary demonstrates that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. And unlike Peter, who would have prevented him, she prepares him for what he must do. You see, Mark tells Jesus' story as one long journey toward the cross. And in the whole gospel of Mark, this woman is the very first person who gets it. She's the very first person who knows that the way of Jesus does not look like destruction and domination, but rather it looks like sacrifice and suffering. The way of Jesus is shaped like the cross. And by anointing Jesus, he says that she has prepared him for death. And this is where the story is also about memory, all right? If we look at the very next verse in verse 9, Jesus declares, Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed, in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. All right? Just as smell has the power to trigger our memories, so the scent of her anointing oil will permeate history. And this story will be told in remembrance of her. So this brings us to the end of the passage. But that's not the end of the story. Right? If we follow Mary beyond these verses and we follow the trail of scent, then we will find ourselves at the beginning of chapter 16. 
maybe a page or two over. Jesus has died on the cross, and he's been buried in a nearby tomb. And so chapter 16 picks up on Sunday morning. Beginning in verse 1, it says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. And they entered the tomb, and they saw a young man, dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. You see, if we, like a police dog on the hunt, or like a salmon on its homeward journey, if we follow the sense in the Gospel of Mark, we will be led to the foot of the cross for which the woman anointed Jesus beforehand. But we will also be led to the empty tomb and the news of Jesus' resurrection. And this news shows us the identity of Jesus, but it also transforms our own identity as we become a people of a whole worship. So as we come to a close, I want to give you a challenge for this week. All right. Some of you know Randy Harris. He just retired from teaching at Abilene Christian University. And, and he challenges everyone to spend a few minutes in silence with God every day. And this is different from Bible study or devotions. It is simply silent time with God. He says, no expectations, no demands, no agenda. And he calls it wasting time with God, right? You can almost just hear Judas piping up. Hey, you could have used that time for something else. Why did you just waste it? Because as people in desperate need of God, time with him is not a waste. It's a beautiful thing. So I challenge you to try it this week. All right, set aside five or ten minutes each day simply to spend time with God in silence. Put it on your calendar. Set an alarm, right? No expectations. No demands. No agenda. Waste some time with God. It may be the most valuable thing that you do all week. And as we do this, my prayer is that we might become what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The aroma of Christ spreading the fragrance of knowing him everywhere we go. May it be so. Amen.